Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Double Take, a podcast from The Independent in which we catch up with the writers of some of our favourite comment pieces and find out what happened after we clicked publish. I'm your host, Kirsty Major. I recently caught up with actor, writer and drag performer Amru Al-Khadi about his piece, I'm an Arab actor who's been asked to audition for the role of terrorist more than 30 times. The piece was originally written in response to the Oscar nominations and the podcast recorded before the tragic attacks in Manchester and London. However, in the wake of the London Bridge attack, Amru's piece feels more pertinent than ever. While political parties blame the attack on police cuts or the Wild West nature of the internet, few are taking the deep cultural roots that cause young Muslim men to feel so alienated by mainstream narratives that they find comfort in the fringes of Islamic extremism. If you ever felt in any doubt about the lack of positive representation of Muslims in British TV and film, here's Amru to read his piece. I've worked as a professional performer in the UK since the age of 12, and my Arab heritage has pitted me against some pretty awful racial profiling in the industry. My first film job at the age of 14, Steven Spielberg's Munich, featured me as an Islamic terrorist son. Needless to say, that was an explosive introduction into show business. I'm now 26, and in my career, I've been sent nearing 30 scripts for which I've been asked to play terrorists on screen. Roles have varied from ones as meaty as suspicious bearded man on tube to Muslim man who hides his bombs in a deceptive burqa. When characters aren't as explicitly linked to jihadi fundamentalism, most Arab roles I've read serve as antagonists to white heroes. BBC's recently acclaimed The Night Manager reminded me of those difficulties in my own career. Watching it, it felt obvious that Arab characters were placed where they were as just mere others, narrative hurdles to complicate the journeys of its cast of white leads. When I expressed my frustrations to a prominent casting director, she encouraged me to use my ethnicity as a playing card, reassuring me that white actors are fucked in this day and age. That's something she actually said. It's incredible how many times I've been told to see racial profiling as a positive thing. And it's true that since 9-11, there are genuinely more roles for Arab actors than ever before. Hurrah, they say. Rejoice in the bounteous work opportunities. Finally, Arabs have a place in Hollywood. Not center screen, of course, but on the faceless periphery, clutching a prop detonator while a famous white man acts his ass off and earns an Oscar in the process. While frustrating for Arab actors struggling to forge a name in an unforgiving industry, there's even more critical issues at hand here. Namely, the fact that nearly zero Arab and Muslim identities are portrayed three-dimensionally on screen. It's depressingly telling that American Sniper is one of the highest grossing hits in film history, a box office earning in excess of $500 million in a film where white man Bradley Cooper kills unnamed Arab actors for over two hours. Stories on screen have the rare ability to arouse empathy for diverse characters and audiences across the world. So leaving out Arab and Muslim voices in such a context of global Islamophobia is particularly damaging. With masterful directors, sublime works like Moonlight happen. 
Now the story of gay black masculinity in the Miami ghetto has become that much more relatable and mainstream. It is my genuine belief that if the TV and film industry had been more diligent in representing Arab characters with all our humane, complex, intersectional three-dimensionality, xenophobia would not be as pandemic as it is today. And hence I pray that La La Land doesn't clean up at the Oscars as it did at the BAFTAs. But this would be a sign that the industry prioritises the celebration of itself first of all, self-indulgently rejoicing in its own nostalgic and white mythology. Moonlight needs to win Best Picture, not only because it is a cinematic feat that is to La La Land what Frida Kahlo is to paint by numbers, but because it sends an urgent message. A message that we're ready to empathise with any story, no matter how far away they are from us and how much they defy our systemic misconceptions. The UK industry in particular must similarly do away with its obsession with period dramas. Now is not a time to escape into the bygone days of a white imperialist Britain, but to look outwards at the contemporary world, portraying minorities in a way that helps to dispel social prejudices and bring communities closer together. As an Arab person living in the West today, I feel every Islamophobic utterance by Trump and Le Pen or Theresa May's silent apologism as a personal, frightening blow. Hollywood should not be complicit as well. More than ever before, we need the cinema screen to do its unique job, to illuminate ignored identities, and to challenge the ideas that prejudice and politics would have us believe. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. That was Amru Al-Khadi reading his piece, I'm an Arab actor who has been asked to audition for the role of terrorist more than 30 times. A link to the original column can be found in the show notes. Up next, we'll be asking Amru how his piece went down on Twitter and if he's had any more auditions since. Thank you so much for reading your piece. No, not at all. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to actually meet writers of our pieces because Uh sometimes we just click publish and then we don't know what happens afterwards to our we continue existing yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> so I think the first thing to talk about is the fact that Moonlight actually did win best picture yeah I know I'm so happy I think that was really really significant in terms of it showing the next step in terms of what the industry is going to be trying to do um which is like supporting the work that really really matters I mean it's it's interesting with Moonlight because one thing I worry is, I mean, you had it after 12 Years a Slave as well, that everyone was like, yay, 12 Years a Slave one. And then the year after that was the Oscars so white, um, you know, scandal. And I feel like I don't want Moonlight winning to be co-opted into the diversity is fixed debate because it's also really rare. It's really exceptional filmmaking, which I think no one could deny. It's just so beautifully directed. The soundtrack's incredible. The acting's amazing. The cast, I mean, everything. The script is brilliant. The producers were brilliant. I mean, it's really rare you have a film of that quality anyway. So there was a lot of things at play, but I think it should be a signal to the industry that we need more works like that. 
um and i also don't want it to have the like la la land didn't win narrative if that makes sense when all of a sudden it became about white people's problems yeah. rather than a, a film that was just exceptional on its own right um but i think what moonlight did show which is for me the new frontier in terms of filmmaking is like intersectionality it was like yes a gay storyline but it was also a black storyline it was also you know about the ghetto and it was also about it was about so many things that, and that's why i think it really resonated with so many people i totally agree because for a long time i feel like the word intersectionality was this sort of lefty buzzword and it gave life to it and actually showed what it actually is shorthand for which yeah. is how beautifully complex people's lives exactly. are exactly and speaking of which <laughs> i feel like we, we we've published a few of your pieces mm-hmm. And thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and I think what a lot of listeners might not know is that many of the other opinion pieces you've wrote for us have been about being a queer person of colour who is also a drag performer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, knowing that and then reading this piece, I just thought, oh my God, these casting directors are so stupid because you're <laughs> such an amazingly interesting person. Oh, that's very sweet. With, with, you know, with, with so many. Um, facets to your life but you seem like when they cast you Mm -hmm. they reduce you down to arab terrorist basically i mean basically yeah i mean it's so i mean story archetypes when they come down to it just become so reductive in terms of you know the other and goody and baddie and there is so much stuff getting made i mean no casting director i've ever spoken to has actually ever said that they're racist, but institutionally there are there are racist. I mean, there's so many factors we can talk about. But for instance, if someone's casting a TV show, unless you, when you get the script breakdown and you've got you know the guy who's trying to save the world and then the person who's going to interrupt it, you as a UK casting director, when you send out the breakdown to agents, you actually have to be you have to specify what race each person is. You can say any race, but then that goes to basically every actor who exists. And then cast and directors get like 4,000, 5,000 minimum like, submissions per role. So it's so coded the way that we kind of have white person as savior that it just people do it. But in terms of like intersectionality, um, you know, even when I think about Arab identities, if you're not a terrorist, then you're a victim. And people literally do not understand that I have a Muslim background and I'm also really progressive and queer. And I know a lot, I'm no longer a practicing Muslim, but I know a lot of trans Muslims and queer, you know, I know is people, the way that representation has gone is it's actually really eradicated intersectionality when it actually should be demonstrating it. Because intersectionality is a little bit hard to demonstrate because you're basically, like you said, was it's very complex and the people, the way people consume images and film, and it, it needs to be simple. And also, Moonlight is a really complicated film. Like, there's no answers really at the end of it. Um, and I think that is hard for a lot of people. But that is the frontier. I think we should be asking questions and showing complexity rather than giving answers in in work. And for you, has there been in TV or cinema or even literature, has there been an Arab character who's been depicted with that complexity, do you feel? Basically, I grew up in a really conservative, like Muslim background, kind of went into creativity and the arts to like, basically, I wouldn't say escape my Muslim identity, but just to like explore loads of different parts of myself. And then it was like, okay, actually, no, that's all there is to you. So it was this bizarre moment of like, Okay, so I've gone into this profession to 
explore other sides of myself and now you're t- I'm being told this is the only side I can explore and creating your own work has really been the only means out of that so my drag show denim um like I've got a a tv show like with channel four that we're developing about an egyptian drag queen but these are things that i've had to write myself and those are the only good arab roles that i've seen out there i mean desiree akavan for appropriate behavior she wrote directed and starred in that um and she's like a queer iranian identity aziz ansari for master of none so i think intersectional identities are having to just take it into our own hands because the roles aren't out there and it's a good and a bad thing because it just i mean it's bad because it is there's a lot of privilege that you need to have to be able to do that as in being able to write having a really strong agent all these things that are just much harder but the payoff's a lot better i think but it takes a lot of motivation and i know a lot of arab actors who just don't want to do that because you just have to just put your soul on the line and like what if you just want to act i mean i actually don't just want to act now i'm loving the writing side of it but yeah, the only really good parts I've seen for Arab identities are the ones that they've written themselves. It's almost as if the industry is forcing you to politicize mm-hmm. your job when some, like you said, some people just want to act. The thing is, why is, why should queer people and people of color have to suffer the emotional labor of justifying their position to the world the whole time? It's really exhausting. And unfortunately, I feel like the world's in a place now where we're going to have to politicize our identity just to like be heard and but at the same time there's something also really empowering about it like i the fact that my identity has been so challenged by the industry and just like the the white world has meant that i've been able to really justify my identity with drag and all these shows and in a way it's given me so much empowerment but it's really hard and there's a lot of emotional labor that i don't think some people just have the capacity for and when you when the piece was published Mm. did you have anyone acknowledging that or people responding and find an affinity with it or what did you have an adverse reaction i mean i did I mean, I was amazed with how viral the piece went. I was it went really... viral. <laughs> like the last time I checked, it was 163,000 shares, shares and that doesn't count them all often. What is it? Does that mean um, people have actually just copied and pasted the link and said, it, read this? When they've copied and pasted it into Twitter or Facebook, but it doesn't capture it all because sometimes people share it through different mediums. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so yeah. it, I mean, it was our top performing piece for weeks. Oh, wow. It, That's amazing to hear. I mean, I think, I mean, I did have a lot of Arab actors just reach out to me and say, thank you. My God, I'm not the only one experiencing this. Thank you. And I thought, well, I'm really glad that someone's found an affinity with it. I had a lot of white actors and white friends literally go, oh my God, I've never thought this, that you would get asked or to audition. And people thought it was quite funny. Like, no way. Because people who know me know that terrorist is like, probably the worst bit of acting I could ever do because like I'm it's just the opposite to me you know they know me as like a comic a comedy queen or a drag queen or a comic so loads of people are just like oh my god I didn't even put two and two together because obviously people see past my race you know my friends do so there was a lot of that and then obviously like it being the internet and you know the id of the world just basically being a disgusting like (laughs) black slug of crap I mean when I, I do try and respond to every single comment because I do take the labor of me to like 
be as nice as possible and explain why they're wrong. I mean, but a lot of people were like, you're an actor, get over it. It's acting. So a lot of people didn't, I think, get the link between this and Islamophobia and like the broader, which is what the piece is about. Like, because I really think like Islamophobia has gone like this and it's not Arabs have gone like this on the screen. Like, and you're the, putting your hands up and down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, it's it's on the rise and media is responsible for disrupting narratives and changing them mm. so that we don't just see Arabs as, as and, and Muslims as terrorists. But that's not happening. It's reinforcing that narrative. TV and film has like a lot to answer for. So does British TV and film. I mean, I'm, to, I'm lucky enough to actually have a feature in development BBC films now where the protagonist is an Iraqi immigrant and stuff. So they are now taking... But if you look at British BBC TV, I mean, period dramas is all we've Ugh. had. Yeah, really horrible. Yeah, I see one more heaving bosom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, I know. And I think there is a link between that and Brexit. I'm not going to be like, it caused Brexit. But the nostalgic rhetoric of you know, take back control, this bygone days of England, which I don't know what people mean, like the war. But anyway, but like, I think there is a link. Like the way we also sell our content abroad is so just like the crown and all that crap. Like, so British TV has a lot to answer for as well. And imagine if TV and film had been so much more diverse, maybe Brexit wouldn't have happened. If like BBC viewers and ITV viewers, like all around like the Brexit towns, were just watching Arab characters be normal and living normal lives and having characters that they could build an affinity yeah. with, and it this conversation also reminds me of the um, Riz Ahmed speech mm-hmm. that he did to Parliament mm-hmm. about diversity. Yeah, and he said that you know if if you're young, you you find affinity with with characters mm-hmm. in you know in film and TV and but when when you can't see yourself reflected mm-hmm. back at you when you can never imagine yourself being James Bond say mm-hmm. you will go somewhere where you can be James Bond and he said that that place now is often ISIS recruitment videos where they're, they're shot and directed like action movies I, know, I thought that was really poignant I only watch American TV now just because it's more diverse that British TV and film like TV I mean it's so white um and I think it does have really negative effects because also it's the first, like when you're 15, 14, like I think the TV is like one of the first time that you actually like start to see the world represented and it looks really close to life TV and film. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It is, it looks like life. So you are going to be making up some opinions from what you're watching. I think some TV shows maybe try to mm. like EastEnders. Yeah, it's trying now, it's... right? I've, I, 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 to be honest, think, there's a real politics of like, you know, if if I was to get a writing job, maybe I'd be like, actually put me on EastEnders because I, I very much believe in like Trojan horsing, queer, diverse politics to the masses. This is kind of the commission I'm working on with the BBC Films right now is about the relationship between like a, a young gay Iraqi immigrant and a 70-year-old Catholic widow, um, female Catholic widow, yeah. And, you know, I think there's a BBC frame to the fact that it's got this British sensibility to it and like we can maybe smuggle in like some of the diverse politics. So actually I'm all for like not preaching to the converted. I mean, even with my drag show, we go, we've gone to Cornwall and done a kids show to be like, well, let's just go to the place that probably would find us the hardest to stomach. 
Do you think there's a fear then maybe from the people who put money into projects that audiences won't like they underestimate audiences because they want to monetize it yeah. as much as I mean, they can i had a conversation with a sales agent to a film and i almost like screamed but i couldn't because it was like a public space who said that so sales agents for films will basically estimate how much it's going to make and therefore that's how much the film can then have as a budget and blah blah blah, blah. And, you know, they, when there's an Asian lead or a black lead, she was saying, we just don't put money in it. As much money because Asian territories don't tend to buy stuff without white leads, apparently. So she was like, we just don't put as much money into it. Also, there is something to be said for clever marketing. Like, Philomena is a very clever film because it looks like a Judy Dench, almost like a Richard Curtis Judy Dench film. And then the trailer, that's what it looks like. But once you're in the cinema, it's actually a film about HIV and Catholic repression and like the dark underbelly of Catholicism. But they just didn't put that in the trailer and it made 100 million because people went to see it. I think people watch TV and film to see other worlds. Like sci-fi is really popular. Like Stranger Things. Like um, I mean, we watch TV to actually not just look at ourselves. I don't really watch TV to like find Arabs and me. I, I want to just like see parallel universes and parallel. So I think audiences want Iraqi drag queens or this because it's not them. I just, so I think we should not patronize people and be like, if you want to see something really interesting, well, just watch this. And do you think British TV is going to get there? There is a lot of talk right now in TV and film in Britain about really addressing diversity i have to say i am optimistic just because the conversations i've had you know with the bbc and channel four and all that is they really are trying um but we can you know the systemic problems of there just not being good enough writers of color because also quality controls are really really key and because also now drama schools are so expensive it tends to be mostly white so like they are really looking for diverse voices, but they have to be quite creative in finding them. There is also a lot of this content out there. The issue also comes with distribution. If you go to film festivals, like there are so many great films at the London Film Festival that only get shown once or twice, and you're like, wow. So people are exploring this, but it's more the, if it's get, getting distributed and seen, it's like I actually think is also another big issue. Um, but yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much. For, no, it's like, been to me. so amazing to have you in and to like it's just given the article so much more depth and yeah i've got so much more understanding for what for what went into it now thank you for having me you're welcome that's all for this week please rate review and subscribe on itunes acast or wherever else you get your podcasts It makes a big difference to new shows like ours, so it'd be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to tell us if you like it. A big thanks to Helen Hoddenot for producing the episode, Hannah Fairness, the editor of Independent Voices. I'm Kirsty Major, commissioning editor and host of the podcast. See you next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.